How many of you guys had a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? You guys who had turkey and, th- and stuffing and mashed potatoes? Yeah? How many of you watched some TV? Yes. Yes. Who watched the parade, the football games, the, Christ- the, the movies in the evening, right? The Christmas movies? We watched them all at my house. It was, the TV was on all day long. Nobody was watching it at times. Anybody, anybody amen to that? Right? It was just on. Right? In fact, a study has shown that as Americans, we watch four plus hours of TV a day. A day. You know what that equates to in a lifetime? Nine years. Nine years of TV sitting on your butt watching TV. That is crazy and absurd, and we love it. We love television. My family is no different. Okay? We have the TV on all day long. We watch Mickey Mouse. We watch the parade, right? My kids love Disney Junior. My wife and I, we get involved into the, you know, different shows on AMC and, and, and whatever. And then I got to watch my games on Sunday afternoon and whatever time I have uh, to watch sports, I do, right? So I think we can all relate to uh, this minor panic attack that happens when the cable goes out. You guys are with me, right? You've spent like 10 minutes in your living room frantically searching for your TV remote. You finally get it, turn it on, nothing. You get that like black and white, like, you know, you know snow stuff and you get, and your, your, your immediate inclination is panic. And then it's like, who do I got to blame? So you call up, you call, you call, you call up your cable provider and you're like, hey, my TV is not working, and it's because of your service. When are you going to fix it? Right? You, you, you go there, and they're like, well, uh, uh, it, it's this and it's that, and um, it won't be ready for another week. A week! A week. Anybody this ever happened to? A week they're out without cable? It happened to me. Right? So my family was planting some new shrubs in the front yard, and we uh, clipped the uh, cable line. Ugh. <laughs> right? <laughs> I get the, chiv- the chills thinking about it. Right? So, <laughs> so I'm standing there and I'm calling cool, cool, calm, collecting on the outside. I'm calling the cable provider there. Like, uh, sorry, Mr. Maxson, uh, we can't get somebody out there to your house for another week and a half on the inside. Uh, and I'm like, oh gosh, how are we going to coexist? My kids have to watch the new Mickey Mouse. Right? To sing that song for the numpteenth time. And my, uh, my wife and I got to see who's going to get boated off dancing with the stars. And my in-laws who are visiting have to hit the daily quota of Fox News. <laughs> and I have to watch the Steelers. Come on, man. One week? You got to be kidding me. One week. Ah, gosh, I was so angry and upset and scared and nervous all at the same time. I was not sure... My family was going to coexist. This thing, this television was the source of our entertainment, our joy, our laughter. You know, I I, I didn't know what to do. But when I look back on that particular moment, that particular week and a half, I think that was probably one of the better weeks my family has ever had together. We found new ways to engage in each other, to get to know one each other. We drew closer. We played games and card games and board games and every kind of game you can imagine. We had really deep conversations. 
You know, we got to know what people were thinking, not just the super, superficial what's going on in the world, looking at the TV, having a conversation while somebody's talking back to us from a box, right? We got to have this greater conversation. And so hold on, I lost my spot. So getting there. Uh, so here's what I'm getting at. We have these trials, and maybe you're in one right now. This trial, this trivial trial of me not having a TV for a week was trivial. But, you know, we all face these trials. And I wasn't so much looking at, you know, how can this trial be any good? But when I look back on it, I go, wow, that was actually a good time. And maybe you're in that trial right now. Anybody in a trial right now? Yeah? You got some tough stuff going on. A season of... of, uh, of uh, you know, despair maybe in your life. And we think about our trials and we often, uh, we, we don't like them, right? Because we focus a lot of the time on the outcome. We, and we try avoiding the outcome rather than looking at the thing that we're trying to, or trying to find what is good about the trial. We get wrapped up in the storm. We can't see where we're going. So all we know is we just want to get out. Right? I wanted to get my cable fixed. We can't see where we're going and we just don't know how to get out because we don't look deep enough because our perspective is jaded. It's, it's, it's jaded by this negative outcome and we end up taking on a negative outlook and we don't grow in our trials and we can't see the joy in trials. But God says something very perplexing and profoundly different. So if you have a Bible today, turn to James chapter 1. It'll be like halfway through and then flick bit again, halfway and then halfway again. It'll be almost towards the very end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go back there on the connections table. There's a Bible for you. We'd love to have that for you. Turn to James chapter 1. Um, James was the younger and half-brother of Jesus, the leader, and he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote this letter around 50 AD to uh, Christians who were spread about the world through the persecution. Remember, Stephen, Stephen had been stoned and pff, the, the whole group of uh, Christians dispersed throughout the new world. And so he was writing, the purpose of his letter was to teach practical Christian behaviors and kind of expose some hypocrisies of the early church. And James, uh, you know, he greatly impacted the world back then, and he greatly impacts the world today if, if we allow him to. Now, this is one of those books in the Bible that I go back to frequently because it helps me all the time. And this particular verse that I want us to dig into this week um, is in verse 2. So turn to verse 2, right? He starts off pick, quick. So uh, James 1, verse 2 uh, through 6 reads, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, generous, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. See, this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. It has greatly influenced my life and it continues to influence me in my walk with Christ. And I think this, this scripture points to a larger truth. This is what we're going to unpack this week. 
So the truth is that God uses trials to help us grow in faith and abound in joy and reflect his glory. So let us pray. God, um, Father, thank you for sharing your joy with us. Thank you for giving us the opportunities to grow in you and reflect your glory. I pray that your words, not mine, lay on the hearts and minds of this church. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to care. Give us minds to grow and hands to serve. Amen. So, if you are taking notes today, have that pen ready. I have four points to pull from the truth that God uses trials to help us grow in faith, abound in joy, and reflect his glory. Point one, God uses trials. Trials are the state or the position of a person being tried or afflicted. Simply put, they are tests. I don't know about any of you kids. You guys like tests? Nah, right? Most of us don't enjoy trials and tests. However, God uses them and he uses them often. James says, when you face or meet trials of various kinds, meaning they are coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You know, it's, and, 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 it's a, and there's a common fallacy or this belief that because Christians today, we won't face trials or when we do, we'll be like, hey, yeah, it's great, right? This is a false lie. This is an absolutely absurd idea that we won't face trials. We will. God uses them. Therefore, we need to know and expect that trials, tests, storms, if you will, they will come. They are coming. This is, um, the people of God are always being tested. They're always looked at as trial. So let's go back to Deuteronomy uh, and look at the people of Israel as they're in this trial. You guys remember they're in the wilderness. So Deuteronomy 8.2 reads, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, that you uh, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. See, God tested the people of Israel for 40 years. Not 40 days, not 40 minutes, not 40 seconds. For 40 years in a big trial. They were under a trial, wandering the wilderness, testing their faith and obedience. God tested them and he tests us too. One of the most rememberable trials of my life was the birth of my son, Caswell. Now, Caswell was two he was born on May 7th, 2012. And it was the morning, early morning, and I got up early to go to work. And, and, you know, Jenna never gets up really, really early with me, but she got up that day. I don't know what it was. And, you know, in my back of my mind, as I'm giving her a kiss and leaving, she says, uh, have a good day. And I said, yeah, you too. And as I was walking out the door, she says, or I, I, I think to myself, I think she's going to have a baby today. Right? Like an hour and a half later, I'm at work. I get this phone call. Bring. Hello? And I see it's Jenna, right? And she goes, come home now. Click. You know, you know what that means, right? Baby time. So here I am. I'm running. Running through my plant, right? We make molten metal. I'm throwing off personal protective equipment, breaking safety rules, going about 90 miles an hour down Cane Bay Boulevard, getting home. Pulling into my house. There's Jenna. She says, 
hey, I'm having these contractions, but I'm not sure if they're fake or they're real, but can you just help me out with Claire today? I'm like, really? This is what it was? <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought it was baby time, but no. So, so finally, we get to have this conversation, and we get to the decision, hey, we need to get you at least to the doctors. So they're like, okay, cool. So we get Claire to school, we drop the Claire, we get Jenna to the doctors, and we get to the doctor's office. You ever go in the doctor's office, like where all the pregnant women are at? It's never empty, am I right? Right? But this time it was empty, and I'm like, yes, we'll go right in. Nope, sat there and waited 15 minutes. At least I thought, and it felt like an hour, right? My wife's sitting there like, oh, God, <laughs> help. And finally I get up, and I knock on the you know, window pane, and they're like, can you please come and help her? She's in like a lot of pain. And so then this, the, the, her doctor comes out, and they put her back in, they take her back to the examination room. Whoops. And she, uh, like three minutes later, she comes back out. She goes, um, we need to go over to the hospital across the street, like right now. Right now. I'm like, yes, all right, good, baby time, it's on. I want you to drop Jenna off at the curb. She's going to go into labor and delivery. You're going to go to admin. All right, so I'm, I'm in admin uh, waiting, for Jen, waiting for somebody to take our paperwork. And finally, somebody takes our paperwork, and, and, uh, and what feels like, like somebody that's going through every meticulous line at him. Because it's not my wife, it's, it's, it's me. So she's going through every, Mr. Maxson, do you know what the, her social security number is? Yes, okay, and I give her that. Okay, here's why we're asking that. And so she's going through this long, detailed story, and I'm like, come on, I need to go. My wife is up there, right? Out of the corner of my eye, there is our, uh, our doctor, and she is running. She's running, <sighs> Mr. Maxson, oh, good, I'm glad you're here. I'm like, well, good, where else am I going to be, right? She comes over and she says, don't be alarmed. Immediate alarms are going crazy, right? <laughs> don't be alarmed. Um, we got Your son's heart rate has increased rapidly. We got to get the baby out now. Okay, so, uh, so we're going to go and we're going to do this emergency, uh, immediate emergency C-section. I'm like, okay, great, let's go. And literally, that, sl- that snail paste, the administration's person, she rubber stamps, I'm gone. Catch, see that? <laughs> right? I am gone. Up, up the elevator, and as, as Jenna is being wheeled out of the room, the elevator doors open up. I don't even know if I said anything to her. So I get whisked into the waiting area or the waiting room, and the, the doctor comes in to me, and he says, uh, Mr. Maxson, um, everything's going to be okay. Uh, I know this seems a little scary. Um, we, we don't have time to do local anesthesia. So we have to do general anesthesia, and that means you can't be in there. I'm like, what? I'm like, well, what, do you, what does this mean? It's like, you're going to have to wait in here until the baby's born, and then we'll come and get you. What? What? I didn't even get to say bye to my wife as she's going out. You're telling me I got to stand here. Here's your OR scrubs and we'll come and get you. Talk about being in the trial, standing there in the storm. My wife has been wheeled out to immediate C-section. And I'm left in the room alone with no assurance that my new son is going to make it. And not exactly a joyful moment. All right? It's not really, that's not really a whole lot of fun. In fact, I was outright distraught. I was so scared, so worried, so nervous. I began pacing around the room, not really sure what to do. I'm going to pick this up in a second. But here's what we need to remember. Trials, the trials of our lives, the tests of our life are proctored by the sovereign God of the universe. 
And they accomplish his good and glorious purposes. So in other words, God is in control in what appears to be chaos to us. No matter how bleak it looks, we must know that and believe that God is in control. So God uses trials. But what does he use them for? Right? So if he uses them, what does he use them for? Well, this is my point too. God uses trials to help us grow in faith. Despite the severity of the trial, big or small, major or minor, we know they will come because God uses them to fulfill his purposes and grow our faith. Trials help us grow and mature in our faith. The Bible is filled with lots of examples of where God uses trials to help his people grow. Let's take a look back at Exodus, right? We, we talked a little bit about Deuteronomy, and then we'll just go back a little bit further in time, right? The Israelites have, been, have, been, have escaped from Egypt. They've survived, right? They've crossed over the Red Sea. They've seen these miracles of God. They now stand in the desert of sin with, with Moses and Aaron, and they start complaining, grumbling. Why am I in this trial? It was great. They had meat pots back there, right? We were hungry. They, they are complaining about having no food. They say, oh, we would rather go back to Egypt, Moses. We'd rather go back there and be captive than be out here with no food. And then God tells Moses that he would provide for his people and test their obedience. Verses 9 and 10 of Exodus 16 read, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling." And as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of God appeared in a cloud. God hears us in our trials. He wants us to draw closer to him. Right? They turn and they see him. Under difficult circumstances, it's our natural and instinct to complain, to put blame on people, right? Remember I called the cable provider? Hey, it's no different. it was no different than for the Israelites. They wanted life to be easier, to be comfortable. That's what we want. They didn't, but see, they didn't focus on the cause of their stress, of their trial, the lack of their faith or their trust in God at that time. They failed to remember that God is in control. So through Moses and Aaron, uh, God called his people to come close to him, to have faith in him and to obey him. When they finally looked to God to draw uh, and drew closer to him there in their trial, they learned who he was. And that what he desired for them uh, was faith and obedience. Thus they grew in this relationship with God. And we see another example of where we suffer in trials, right? Paul's letter to the Romans. So if you look at Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, we see we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So just like James, Paul should uh, we should rejoice. Paul says we should rejoice in suffering of our trials because of Christ who endured and was steadfast and persevered for us on the cross. 
We could be set free. We could be reborn, made clean, seen as perfect because of Christ. Right? By his love and his mercy and his grace, he gives us hope and joy. We learn of his love and see his joy thus grow in faith. And we have a better understanding of who he is when we understand that. Well, we don't often think this way. We don't look at this in our trials because we immediately try to fix our problems ourselves. We try to fix it our own way. And when we try to fix it our own way, we get this never-ending anxiety, right? Because we're always trying to get to the next happy moment. Not that growing relationship with God where we have a different perspective in things. But, see, if our ultimate goal is to know who God is, to grow in God then we'd have this deeper, lasting relationship with him and endure and be joyful. Now, let's go back to Caswell's birth. So there I am, right, standing in the midst of the trial, not knowing exactly what's going to happen, pacing around my room in my OR scrubs. I'm like, oh gosh, you got the booties on? Please don't trip, right? And I suppose, what am I supposed to do? Hits me. Bible. So I open up the Bible, and you know what? First, Open to James 1, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I was immediately put at ease. Ease. Okay? Like, okay. Ease. I was comforted. I was now strengthened. I was confident in knowing that my God was present with me in the trial and that there was nothing left for me to do but wait with him to allow to welcome my son into the world. Okay? Now, here's the important part I want you to see. The joy didn't come immediately. Nor from the outcome because the outcome at that point was still in doubt. I'm still waiting in the room. But God showed me what, that I should just draw closer to him. I got to experience a close personal encounter with Jesus. I was afforded the trial to draw closer to God in faith. Now, my son was born healthy. And other than Jenna being filleted open, and that was a gruesome sight I never want to have to see again. Right? She's fine. We're actually expecting another boy in March. So, uh, so that's good. Uh, but, but would I have, hold on, hold on. But would I, have, would I have experienced joy or counted the trial joyful if the outcome was different? Say, say Jenna or Caswell didn't make it. That would have been a whole lot different story, right? Joy would have been much harder to experience or come by. So how is it that we are to count trials joyful if we don't know the outcome or worse yet, we know the outcome and it's bad? Our joy isn't about feeling. It's not emotional. It's about what we think. It's about our new perspective. Because of the relationship we have with Christ. See, our relationship with Christ starts with our faith in Him and our faith makes us joyful. Point three, faith abounds in joy. We abound in joy because of our faith. We are joyful in our trials 
because of the trial is under the authority of God, fulfilling his will and having faith in him. See, our joy is in spite of our circumstances, not because of them, right? Our joy is eternal and infinite. It's the very essence of who Jesus is. Our full and ultimate joy shouldn't be in the fleeting pursuit of happiness, right? Shouldn't be in this fleeting pursuit of happiness of what the world thinks is happy, of what the world thinks is joyful. No, it should rather be in the eternal, infinite relationship with Jesus, the source of joy. See, Jesus peacefully, lovingly, graciously died for our sins so that we could receive eternal joy and relationship with God. That joy was imparted to us from the moment he died on the cross for our sins. And we would, we abound, which means to occur, to exist in great quantities, to be rich or well supplied, to be filled with joy because of the faith in Jesus that was built upon the trials that God laid before us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the vine. And that we are branches, and those branches bear fruit. And when, uh, because we bear fruit, we, we bear this fruit that is of God. And the more and the closer we come with God, we bear much fruit. But when we draw away from God or move away from Him, we don't bear any. So as we draw closer to God... As bearers of much, we receive love and joy and garner this specific kind of joy. Here's the joy that I'm talking about. In John 15, just after he says these things about the vine, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So do you see the source of the joy? Joy is is the very relationship in the image of God. Not the circumstances that which we find ourselves in. Not in the pursuit of happiness or the ease of life. Our joy is Him. Our joy is Jesus. And in fact, we get His joy. We don't get, it's, it's His. He imparts it to us. Jesus' joy is found in His faith, in His Father, right? This, this, his obedience to complete His Father's purpose in spite of the circumstances. Not because of them. Let's be honest. Was Jesus' circumstances any better than what ours are today? No. They're, they're way worse. People were going to kill him for, for, not, for, for what he didn't deserve. Right? His circumstances were pretty bad. But he was joyful because of the relationship he had with God, the Father. And through the trial and through the storm, Jesus persevered. He lived as we did, but without sin. And he knew the terrible outcome that would lay before him, before his trial, before his death, right? He's in the garden, you remember? He's praying and he's sweating blood. You think that that doesn't happen? I mean, that only happens when you're under great distress, anxiety, right? This is real despair that Jesus is under. He is worried. And he knows that he's going to be pulled further away from God as we dump all of our sin on top of him. But just before that, he draws closer to God. He draws his strength from the relationship he has with his father, right? He prays for hours, preparing to go and stand on the cross for us. Christ died on the cross for our sins to impart his joy to us. Christ didn't stay dead, right? 
It's almost like the joy helped him rise. The, the joy in his relationship with his father. He rose and he walked and he lived and he ascended and he reigns with joy. The same joy he imparts to us. Because he desires this relationship with us. Now, Caswell's birth story is one of my favorite stories to tell. Yes, I have a son. It's awesome. Right? He's like hilarious. He cracks me up. But I don't tell that story. I don't find joy in that story because of the result. Uh, it, my joy originates uh, not from that story of, his being, of him being born, but rather my joy in telling that story is the opportunity I had to draw close to God, to know him, right? Because he was there for me. The closer the relationship, the stronger the joy comes. I'm joyful because the relationship I have with Jesus and how a trial, he afforded me the opportunity to draw closer to him. I get to tell how in a time of trial and despair, I turned to him and he was there waiting for me with his joy. So I get to share and reflect his glory and his majesty with others through this story. So final point, right? So our joy reflects the glory of God. When our new pursuit is not happiness, but rather this relationship with God, our perspective on things, our thinking changes. When we start to realize the joy found in the relationship with Jesus... We need to reflect that joy because we get to reflect his image. When we reflect his image, his glory, or his radiance to others, they see his glory. So I'm a joyful believer in Jesus Christ, my Savior and my source and of my joy and the author of my trials. Right? He is my king. And the writer of Hebrews paints a beautiful picture of Jesus' majesty. In in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 3 of Hebrews, he is the radiance of the glory of God, meaning Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is God and the source of our joy. When Jesus is around us, we grow even in trials. And James says, we are to be steadfast in our faith. We should persevere. We have to endure. So so that we may be complete, lacking in nothing. This, This perfection, Jesus did that when he went to the cross. He was in a great trial. He was faithful to God, the Father. He was steadfast in his faith. And his faith made him perfect. Now, his perfection is what paid for our salvation. He gained wisdom by being close to God who gave him the ability and the faith to fulfill the Father's purpose. Despite the outcome of death, he was faithful and now he joyfully sits at the right hand of God as king. So as we go through life, we must trust that God uses trials to help us grow in faith, abound in joy, and reflect his glory. What are we to do? What are we to do with this? It's perplexing and mind kind of numbing uh, scripture from James. How do we change our perspective so that we count our trials as joyful? 
that we, well, first thing is we trust in him and, 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 we, and we see that God uses the trials, right? And, and what I've said today is easy to say, but really hard to do, really hard to live by. So here's some practical steps of, of how we can be ready uh, and, and find joy in our trials. So one, be ready for trials. Be ready for truths and look at them differently. Consider the opportunity for the lessons to be learned can, and be confident that he has control in what appears to be chaos or uncertainty. Right? Know that he is there, that he is proctoring all of this stuff that's going on. Two, we see those trials, we draw closer so that we grow. When trials arrive, draw closer to God for guidance. And you can do this any day, every day of your life, at any moment. Simply stop and pray. Have this one-on-one conversation with God. Right? That's how we draw closer to Him. You know, better, furthermore, you can study or soap or join a huddle. Those are opportunities to draw closer to God. Lastly, serve. When you see other people serving and you ask them why they're serving, they say, hey man, I'm here for God. Right? When we serve and we ask Him for, for wisdom, we grow in relationship with Him. Remember, James says, ask Him and He will give graciously, uh, generously. Third, pursue joy. Pursue joy, not happiness, folks. You know, joy is everlasting. The relationship with God is forever. Whereas happiness is fleeting, it's circumstantial, it's time-bound. Our joy is infinite because it's Christ. Reflect His glory. Joyfully reflect His glory. Tell others about your joy found in Jesus. When we get to do that, we get to talk about just how great God is. When we reflect His glory and His image and His majesty as our King and our Savior, the person who takes control of things for us, who's under the sovereign control of the universe. We might not see that or understand that. We just have to have faith that he's got that. So we need each other in trials, church. When you're under a trial, you know, go to God. But certainly go to, go to your brothers and your sisters. Ask for help. Ask them to pray with you. Serve with them. Pray with them. Huddle with them. Soap with them. Rejoice in them with them when when there is something to rejoice about. We need each other in our trials and to do these things together, let us pray and, and look to Jesus as the joy of, of our lives. Uh, and I'll, I'll close really with this. So Luke 2, I love this. I love this uh, piece of scripture. Luke 2, 8. And in the region, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you that is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus, thank you for being the joy of our world. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the opportunity to grow in faith by drawing closer to you and building a relationship with you. Help us abound in joy. Reflect your glory. Lord, I pray for us, for all of us who are in trials. I pray that we would have new perspective and new pursuits. 
that we would desire a deeper relationship with you, that we may find joy in trials. Amen. Shall stand and join us to sing one last song. And joy to